This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 224, Stand By Me Movie Review. McBrien along with Derek Myers and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now this week we're going to be wrapping up our look at 1986 by going back and re-watching Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. But before we get to the movie, Derek, uh, any pop culture that you've been able to uh, take in over the past week, my friend? Yeah, a few pieces. Not not as much as I was hoping to, because mm-hmm. uh, I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and I thought, hey, I'm on vacation, I'll have a lot of time, but it's summer, the weather's nice, got and I've actually been spending a fair amount of time yeah. outside. Yeah, i got a pool in the backyard, I like to ride my bike, so I'm out of the house for long periods of time in the day. So actually, I haven't really had a lot of time to just sit down and and watch stuff. I, don't get me wrong, I did, and we'll talk about it in just a second, but I actually had a chance to get caught up on some of my favorite podcasts, because oh, um, I, unfortunately, i just sort of been letting them accumulate, and and... In my mind, the best shows are the ones that come out on a regular schedule, as we try to do. We try to do once a week whenever we can. And and that, to me, is a big, big plus for any good show, is if you enjoy it, you want to know that it comes out regularly, whether it's once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever its schedule is, and you want them to stick to that schedule. And most of the ones that I enjoy the most come out at least once a week. And it, it's been a while. So I probably had a backlog of 20 or 30 episodes of, you know, seven or eight different shows. So I've been catching up on those, including ours. I've been going back and listening to some of our old shows just to see how we sound and uh, how, redo how, how do we sound? How do we sound? Uh, well, I think we sound fantastic. Oh, good. So, good. yeah, a little, little bias there. But um, <laughs> of course, but anyway, I want I want to just do a quick shout out to mm-hmm. um, uh, two two quick podcasts. So one I just and I know we've, we've given them a shout out before, but the guys over at Cinema 9 podcast. They do a great job. They do. Once a week, they pick a movie, they do a deep dive. It's got to be at least five years old. And they basically pick it apart. And then at the end, they make a determination. Do we think it holds up? And and they, they talk about that. And at the top of the show, much like our show, they talk about what have we been watching lately? And because there's three guys on the show, all three of them usually have pretty long lists. So that first part of the show usually runs a good 30 minutes. So even if I'm not interested so much in the movie they're talking about, that first 30, 20, 30 minutes where they just talk about what have they been watching and what are they doing in their lives, I, I, I enjoy it a lot. So if you're not listening to Cinema Night Podcasts, I, I highly recommend you check them out. Uh, Michael Govier has, has who was one of the hosts, has been a guest on our show a couple of times. Uh, sometimes he does the drops at the start of the show. Uh, definitely check them out. Uh, their last few episodes have been very strong. They just did one on Thor Ragnarok. I listened to one a few weeks ago about the documentary uh the donkey kong documentary king of kong a fistful of quarters i can't remember if i talked about that on a previous show or not i remember that yeah but yeah those guys do a great job so check them out the other one i want to talk about and this chris you probably like this mm-hmm. the movie the thing the john carpenter movie the thing right starring kurt russell it is came out 40 years ago yeah, 1982 40, that's right yeah 40th anniversary this mm-hmm. year and so uh, over at the Ringer Podcast Network, one of the shows I listen to is called The Big Picture. 
and they come out once or twice a week and they talk oh, yeah. about anything and everything movies. This week's episode was a retrospective on the movie The Thing. So for the first 45 minutes to an hour, the two hosts, well, the, well, the one main host and then one of the guests came on and they just broke down the film. They talked about what they like. They talked about like random trivia. They, they're both sort of scholarly so they can really d- dig deep into some of the themes and that kind of stuff. It was, it was really good. Then the second half of the podcast, they actually interviewed John Carpenter. And they've got another 45, 50 minute interview with Carpenter where they're talking about the thing and why did you do it and how did it feel making the movie and what did you learn from it? If you if you are a fan of the movie, The Thing, you need to to check out this podcast. It's the the show is called The Big Picture. It's part of the Ringer Podcast Network. And uh, this week's episode is about the movie, The Thing, the 40th anniversary. So uh, check it out. I listened to it today. It was fascinating. It, it Like, I love this movie. Chris, have we reviewed this movie? We have not. On our podcast? No, we have okay, not. Okay, I'm going to put it on the short list. We're, yeah. you know, we won't review it next week, but in the not-too-distant future, we're going to come back and revisit this movie, The Thing. I don't... We should definitely do it in the winter, because the movie takes place in Antarctica. It's kind of hard to review a winter movie in the middle of July, but... We'll, we'll come back to it. it. It's fantastic. So anyway, that was my podcast stuff. Let's jump into a couple of quick movies then. Um, I had a chance to rewatch one of my favorite movies, The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford. Oh, that's a good one from 93, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been on TV on one of the, fortunately, it's been on one of the channels that, uh, that or unfortunately, it's been on one of the channels that cuts the swears. Mm-hmm. Now, the good news is they don't actually edit the movie and cut out the swears or bleep them. They just mute it. So you right. can still lip read it. Considering I've probably seen The Fugitive 20 times or more, I know exactly what they're saying. But it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. The opening sequence with the where the prisoners are on the, the escape the, the bus train, and the bus yeah. gets hit by the train. Oh, it's yeah. just it's so good. Anyway, I, I had a chance to watch that. And because it's on regular cable, it was on two or three times. So I managed to sort of see certain sections of it. But yeah, it's great. If you haven't seen The Fugitive in a while, you should go pick it up. Uh, uh, give it another watch. Um, two brand new things I watched. One of them was a stand-up comedian, was Dave Chappelle. Uh, he's got a new thing on Netflix. So Dave Chappelle, uh, one of his, uh, one of the schools that he went to, where he went to high school in Washington D.C., is a school for the performing arts, and they've been wanting to name their auditorium after Dave Chappelle because he's one of their most famous alumnus. And for years and years and years, he keeps saying, "No, I don't want it named after me. No, I don't want it named after me." And so he did a um, he did a ceremony, I guess, uh, I think it was just like a few weeks ago. It was the middle of June and they recorded it for Netflix. And they post it. He does a presentation because they ended up naming the, the stadium for him. And so he does this bit. It only runs 39 minutes. And I know that Dave Chappelle angered a lot of people with some of the things that he presented in his last stand up special. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with what he said, if you've been a fan of Chappelle up until now, even if those things might have turned you off, I would encourage you to, to check this one out because he doesn't apologize and he discusses sort of why he said what he said, but he 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 frames it in a very interesting way that w- might make you reconsider some of the things that you maybe have recently started to dislike about Dave Chappelle. I'm not saying he needs total forgiveness. If you think what he said was despicable and you hate him, then you're not going to change your mind. But I've been a fan of Chappelle for a long time. I think he's one of the best stand-up comedians out there. I think he presents things in a very interesting way, but can still find the humor in it. And this, this to me is is one of Dave Chappelle, uh, one of the pieces of Dave Chappelle at his best. Uh, so, despite the recent hiccups he's had in his life uh, regarding what he said in his previous special, this one was was pretty decent. And again, he's presenting this to the the alumnus and the students of of a, a high school for the arts, and the content is really tailored to that audience so 
I would say check it out. It's it like I said, it's it's just a little over half an hour, so it's not going to take very long. And then the second new one we watched just today, my wife and I watched. Uh, are you familiar with the cartoon Bob's Burgers? I've heard of it. I've never so watched it though. It's been running like over ten years now on mm. Fox, and uh, they put out a movie this summer, Bob's Burgers the movie. And so it dropped on Disney Plus. You can now watch it for free if you've got Disney. So we decided, ah, let's check it out. And it was okay. I would say if you enjoy the show, it just felt like a, a really long episode of the show, like maybe a two or three parter kind of thing. But the movie ran like an hour, 45 minutes. It didn't feel that long and it was decent. But at the same time, it wasn't like spectacular, sort of like when the Simpsons movie came out. It's like it was good, but I didn't really feel that they blew the doors off of what the Simpsons was when they finally put out a movie. So sort of in that vein if you're a fan of bob's burgers tv show sure check out the movie there was there was a kind of you know quite a few funny bits in it but it it felt very much just like the tv show so if you don't like the tv show you're not gonna like the movie but at the same time if you enjoy the tv show you'll probably enjoy the movie so bob's burgers i'd say it's probably like if you watch the show you probably give it like a b a b minus if you're not really that big of a fan of the show it's probably going to be like maybe a c or a c minus but uh again it's based on the tv show so it's it's marginally family friendly like there's nothing in there that's really crazy offensive so if you got kids you can always watch it with them but that's been my week in pop culture what about you chris to get up to anything well derek you always mention all these new things that you watch and as you know i'm a little bit stuck in the past so but what i do is sometimes i take to heart some of the suggestions that you make so a couple of weeks ago you were talking about the reboot of the canadian sketch comedy show kids in the hall and this might seem odd but i never really liked kids in the hall that much i remember you saying that when we talked about it a few weeks ago yeah i mean i did a lot of sketch comedy like on stage and on tv myself as an actor um but i just i just never thought kids in the hall was was very good like i mean i think they had some memorable bits overall like remember they had the head crusher and the chicken lady and stuff like that so it was it was memorable but if you go back and watch the old shows the sketches themselves they were kind of dumb you know, they they almost always had like really bad endings and, you know, for their sketches. And sometimes like some of the stuff they did was just plain weird and not really all that funny. So I'm, I don't know. So you mentioned how much you, you love this reboot of the show. So I, I did two things. I went back and I watched the very first original episode from 1988 and it, it wasn't very good. So, you know, you but you were going on and on about how good the, the new version is, this rebooted one. So I decided I'd give it a shot. So I watched the first episode of that. And I'll be honest, I, again, I didn't think it was very good. Uh, but one thing that stood out to me, uh, you know, now the fact that it's now on the streaming services, they don't have to comply with TV censors. Correct. So yeah. they just do whatever they want, right? Yep. So I'm watching the first episode and they're doing this bit that's basically about these two bank robbers who get pulled over and the cops have a description of the two guys based on what they're wearing. So to try and throw off the cops, the two bank robbers take their clothes off so the cops won't know it's them, right? That's basically the premise of the sketch. Made me laugh. I thought it was funny. So yeah, so the cops pull over these two naked guys and they tell them to get out of the car. And then Kevin McDonald... And Dave Foley proceeded to do the rest of the sketch completely naked. And I mean, it's like full of frontal nudity. And and it's for a long time. And they're basically fully nude on camera for like a long, long time. And speaking of long, Dave Foley. (laughs) 
So this guy, this guy should have went into making adult films. I mean, like he's oh, he's like a tripod. I mean, it's, it's like a, it looked like a baby's arm holding an apple. Oh my my my! Like, so just, I couldn't believe it. So I mean, I didn't really like the kids in the hall very much before. I'm not a I'm not a convert at this point. Although I do have mad respect for Dave Foley. So, you, you, could, you could say he's got balls. Yeah, exactly. So it's like Dave and his Foley. You know, his nickname should be Holy Moly Foley. I just, <laughs> anyway, so thanks for like, you know, making me go back and watch the, this reboot of this old show. But ah, I still didn't like it all that much. But anyway, I got this for you, too. Here's your dad joke of the week. So for this week, I decided to do something different. Usually I do like a question and an answer. This one is like a little bit of a story. Okay. So Derek. The last time you did this, it was awful. No. So a sausage goes into a bar and the sausage says to the bartender, I'll have a pint of draft, please. And the bartender says, I loved you on Kids in the Hall. Because Dave Foley has a really big. Is that a pledge pin on your uniform? Doctor. Doctor. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, yes, the Haley Selassie Pavilion. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Whiskey. Fun prophylactic. Soiled. Bring him home. You're my friend. I'm going to try and help you. Randy Jackson from the Jackson 5. Really? In Philadelphia, it's worth 50 bucks. Stop. Look at that escargot. So we recently held our pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1986. And Derek, you won that draft by a vote of eight to one by our esteemed group of judges. So overall, I'm ahead four wins to three. You are catching up. The overall vote total is 35 to 27 for me. So we still have three years left to go in the decade of the 80s. We've got 1983, 87, and 88. So this should be getting good over the next uh, couple of months with us. But after we did the draft, you picked Big Trouble in Little China for us to review, which we did two episodes ago, back on episode 222. And this time it was over to me to pick a movie uh, from 1986. So I went with Rob Reiner's uh, adaptation of the Stephen King short story, Stand By Me. So Derek, I know that uh, you have mentioned you're a big fan of this movie. So, So I have two questions for you. First, prior to this week, had you seen the movie recently? I feel like you, you mentioned that you did. And then second, I guess, how did it hold up for you? So I'll be honest. This is one of those very, very rare times when I did not watch the movie the week before we recorded the podcast. Okay. But I did watch it less than a month ago in its entirety. So when you when you recommended we watch this... I, I, I had every intention of watching it again because I like it that much that I had no would have had no problem watching it twice in a month. I just it just it got away from me. I, I didn't have a chance to sit down and do it. But I think it's fair to say I've seen this movie more than 20 times, mm-hmm. but less than 30 times. And I've probably seen it three or four times in the last calendar year. So my familiarity with this movie is pretty good. I think that uh, I can still speak pretty knowledgeably on the content of this film besides the fact that I didn't actually watch it in the last seven days but I, I have watched it in the last 30 so I think I'm good and 
honestly, it's it's a period piece, right? It takes place in the what mid fifties, mid sixties. I can't remember if they give the exact date, but I mean, based on the music, I think it's fifty nine. Yeah, like there are yeah. there are keys in the movie where you can pinpoint it if they don't actually. I can't mm-hmm. remember if they actually say it in the dialogue, but it's a period piece. So as long as what's being depicted is is accurate to that time frame, you know, within certain within a certain uh, uh, parameters, I think you you got a pretty good chance that it's going to stand up. And I think this movie's fantastic. I think it stands up very well. I think there's a lot to like about it. Um, and uh, I think it's like so much of we always talk about nostalgia. This podcast is all about nostalgia. But usually when we talk about nostalgia, it's you and I talking about the nostalgia in our life of the 70s and the 80s when we were younger, when we were growing up, when we were impressionable, when we were first discovering movies and TV shows and music and books and and all of those things. And this movie, I think, is nostalgia for obviously a different time period, but it still hits on a lot of those same themes of like, you know, friendship and the bonds you make of the people that you knew when you were children and, and you know, the adventures you went on. And so from that point of view, I think it really, really holds up really well. So I agree with you. I always remember this movie as being good. And then when I went back in the last week and watched it, it's great. <laughs> like I was surprised at how well it holds up and maybe what part of the reason for that is because it doesn't take place in the 80s so it's not a dated film it's a period piece like you said it takes mm-hmm. place back in the 50s so that made it helps it um so some just a couple of facts on the movie it was released uh, in wide release on august the 22nd 1986 it was made on a budget of eight million dollars and it made just over 52 million at the domestic u.s box office so it was a hit um and it made money for the studio but it did not finish in the top 10 that year. It finished at number 13, right between The Color of Money and Legal Eagles. But uh, but the thing is, unlike The Color of Money and Legal Eagles, this movie, Stand By Me, has endured. And, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of people consider this to be one of the best films, not just to come out of 1986, but one of the best films to come out of the 80s. Like, yeah, I think that's, I think it's a very fair statement. I think along those lines, a lot of people will say this is one of the top three movies Rob Reiner made, probably oh, yeah. up with oh, yeah. uh, Misery and uh, Princess, Princess Bride, Bride yeah. or even A Few Good Men. I mean, yeah. you know, Rob Reiner, we'll talk about him a little later, but he, mm-hmm. he's, got, he's got a very impressive resume. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's a tough discussion, even just looking at his fully stacked resume to say, like, what is at the top of the list? And a lot of people, I think rightly so, would put this as number one. And I think I think part of the reason it's also endured is the um, – the characters, the the main kids that play these, uh, the the main actors, the uh, you know Will Wheaton and Jerry O'Connell and River Phoenix and Corey Feldman, we we've sort of seen them grow up. Obviously, River Phoenix tragically passed away in the mid '90s, but uh, you know the the ups and downs that go with their careers, and as especially Will Wheaton has continued to be in the public eye in sort of the nerd culture of the last 20 years, and uh, I think that's certainly helped the longevity of this movie. It gives people a reason. If they didn't already have a good reason to go back and rewatch it, it's like, oh, well, it's got these people back when they were still really young. Let's go watch it again. Yeah. And even though it wasn't a huge hit at the box of us, I I think a lot of the reason why this movie has endured or sort of took off, it really had to do with the film's success on video. In the oh, absolutely. 80s, right. Absolutely. So so, so I, I have a question for you, Derek. Did you see this movie in the theaters when it came out or did you discover it on video like uh, like most people? Uh, did not see in the theater. I think the first time I saw this probably would have been 
probably honestly probably when i was working at blockbuster video in the mid to late 90s would have been when i came wow. to this yeah it, i was i was a very johnny come lately to this movie I didn't see it in the movie theater either. I, and the thing was, I was a huge Stephen King fan as a teenager. I loved his books. Um, but the thing is, like, I, I always found that when they made movies based on his books, they weren't always very good. Like, they weren't consistently good. Like, I think of things like Christine and Cujo and Pet Cemetery. They were not very good movies. And I, I guess I always, I always felt Stephen King was one of the most descriptive authors that I ever read and so as a result I think his books just don't translate very well on the big screen because you just get such a picture in your mind when you're reading it that then you see it in the movie and you're like that's not what I had pictured like that's not it right but I think in this case it comes down to the director because oh, absolutely. like absolutely. movies like this and Misery and Shawshank Redemption you know they translated really really well on on the film um, so I was a big fan of uh, Stephen King. Were you like, like, and, no. and and also, what do you think about his books being made into movies? So I, I think we talked a lot about this when we did our Shining episode not too long ago. Um, but obviously, I'll, I'll answer your question. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Stephen King's books. I never really, because again, partly because I'm not really into the horror genre. So even though I was a big reader growing up. Stephen King was just never, never one of the guys on my list. Now, I did actually go back years later and read the the Four Seasons novella where it's got the four short stories. It's so partly good. because so good. this Stand By Me was the based on The Body. Mm -hmm. uh, Shawshank Redemption was based on Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one in there called Apt Pupil, yep. which they made into a movie yep. much later in the 90s with Ian McKellen. Not a great, mm -hmm. no. not a great movie, but I mean. But three you know, of the four short three stories. Three of the four got turned yeah, into movies. Exactly. So I thought, well, geez, uh, you know, I, 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 nothing. I love reading a good book. And then going to see a movie adaptation of it. Like often I'll read a book when they say, oh, this is coming out in the movies in six months. I'm like, oh, is it based on a bestseller? I'm going to read the bestseller because I want to read the book before I see the movie. And uh, especially with someone like Stephen King, I haven't read many of his books and I haven't seen many of his movies. So when, when I knew that all of these were uh, available as movies, I was able to go back, read the books. And because the movies were already released, it's like the day I finished the book, get, let's go to the video store. And let's pick up the movie. And, uh, I, I, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that's probably how I discovered this. I read the book or I read the short story. Rather, I, I had, was you know familiar with this movie, but I had not seen it and then went and rented it. And so I fell in love with it right away, like so many other people did for so many reasons. And uh, like I said, I've I think I think 20 is a low estimate. I've probably seen this probably closer to 30 times. And if yeah. it's on TV, I'll jump in at any point. It's like, hey, what's what's you're flicking around the channels? Go, oh, stand by me. Started forty five minutes ago. That's mm -hmm. fine. I'll, I'll watch the rest of it. Yeah, keep watching. Um, I, I like you. I, I had actually did it the other way. So I read uh, this the Stephen King book, Different Seasons. You know, when I was a teenager, before this movie came out, so I was familiar with it, and I was a bit gun shy to go see it, just like I said, because some of his uh, his books just didn't make very good movies. But mm -hmm. uh, you touch base on the cast. I think we need to touch base on the cast. This cast is fantastic like so will wheaton obviously did this and then he did a couple of things that i'm not as familiar with like he was in star trek next generation which i never really watched and he's he was also in the big bang theory wasn't he my yeah. wife watched that yeah so when he so basically he parlayed the success of this mm -hmm. into uh, a pretty lucrative contract to get into the star trek series uh, from from my understanding i mean i may be completely wrong on this uh was on star trek the next gen for i think three or four seasons and sort of had had like 
fans were very polarized. Some fans were like, hey, as someone who is a similar age to that character, I see myself on screen and I can relate to these stories through the eyes of this, you know, teenager. Other people just thought that he was, you know, not a great character. They didn't think he was a great actor. They they didn't like that this young kid was being injected into these Star Trek stories that typically had been, you know, Kirk, Spock and Bones. And now it's like, and young Will Wheaton's character goes on the away mission. And it's like, get that kid out of there. So they eventually, uh, he left the show. Um, and, um, I, you know, again, I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff. I know that he, he had some personal issues and he dealt with those over the years. And then the big bang theory, they invited him to come on and, and basically play himself. And at first they called him like the evil Will Wheaton. He was sort of playing like a more villainized version of his real life self. But over the years, the fans started to really like him. And so his character on the show basically just transformed into what he is in real life. And uh, I think that really endeared him to a lot of fans. So his career has done very well. And he had a lot of success on YouTube. He had a um, uh, a show on YouTube where they would play board games. And this was sort of like when the tabletop revolution was happening, where all these new board games were coming out in the early to mid 2000s. And people were starting to realize that Monopoly is not the only board game out there. And so uh, Will Wheaton and a few other folks, honestly, I'm sorry, it's been a long time. I can't remember the rest of the cast. Um, they would come on and they would play these games and they would basically demo them online uh, in real time to show people like what they were like. And it was very popular. I think it ran two or three seasons. And so again, he was in the right place, at the right time as someone who, who learned how to use social media in a very creative way. So he's, he's done very well for himself as far as, uh, I'm sure as far as money, but I mean, just for being in the public eye for the last 20 years. And River Phoenix, you mentioned as well, like he was so good in this. And, and you know, he, he was in My Own Private Idaho and Running on Empty, which were both, you know, really critically acclaimed. He was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Running on Empty back in 88. So, I mean, you know, he was highly acclaimed. But he was the, also, don't forget, he was also Indiana Jones as, yes. as teenage version of yep. Harrison Ford in uh, Indiana, Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, Last Crusade. And then when right. they ended up making the TV show Indiana young Indiana Jones mm -hmm. adventures or Chronicles. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Mm -hmm. um, they ended up casting Sean Patrick Flannery in large part because he looked a lot like river Phoenix and they wanted to sort of keep that visual representation of what the young Indy would look like. And I always remember him from the explorers. Yeah. I always liked that movie. And he was like, kind of like a nerdy kind of character in that he was yeah. like Corey Feldman. Uh, I probably remember best from the Goonies. I think, uh, you know, and, and I think and a lot Lost of boys and the Lost Boys, of course. But I mean, the Goonies, he was both, you know, he was yeah. great. And I think a lot of people remember him, you know, doing the, the movies with Corey Haim. You know, they were like the two Corys there for a while. And then yep. Jerry O'Connell, who probably it was funny because he went on to be kind of become like the good looking one, which yeah. which was funny because he plays like the fat guy in this. He goes on to become the good looking one who marries Rebecca Romaine. So it was funny. I and believe they're still married. I believe they are, too. And I thought Richard Dreyfus was phenomenal as the narrator in this. Yes, movie. like it was just, and you you think about him, you know, he was in Jaws and The Goodbye Girl, won an Oscar. Like, like, like this is he's a pretty big actor. He wasn't getting a lot of work in in kind of the early to mid eighties, and um, and took this, but he wasn't even their first choice. They they had hired David Dukes to do the role, and then it just didn't quite work out. And they brought in Michael McKeon, who was. Um, uh, Lenny on... Uh, I was going to say, from Laverne and Shirley? Yep, and he was also in... Um, this is uh, Final Tap. Final Tap, so uh, Rob Reiner knew him from there. But For Richard, our younger listeners, he's the older brother in Better Call Saul. Yeah, he's... Um, he, but Richard Dreyfus was phenomenal. 
he just oh he was so good and John Cusack I forgot was in this movie and yeah when I went very, back very and watched, small I was like, part oh my god he's so good in this and the other one that really stood out to me was Kiefer Sutherland yeah he plays one of the all time bad guys in this like he's he's like that bully that you were just terrified of in back in school so oh it's yeah. so good so I think we really need to touch base on some of the themes in this movie as well as you know some of the scenes and quotes and all that stuff but the big theme is in this movie is it's it's friendship because absolutely it's it's not about going to see a dead body this movie is about friendship right so it's basically you know how the friends we have when we're 12 are the strongest friendships of our lives and well, isn't, isn't that one of the first lines of the movie if it's not one of the, the last line of the movie it's the or is that the very beginning yeah. and, and the though. examples are like throughout the whole movie if things like like the thing where the, he goes like two for flinching and punches them and like yeah. the pinky square and remember where they're walking and they, they kick each other in the butt like yep. behind like just things like that and skin it um i do that with my kids all the time like if, if we like there's a, like a, a disagreement that we're like hey skin it and we, and we do and i got it from this movie you know yep. <laughs> so um i also thought it was interesting there was a a line early in the film where the dad's talking to uh, gordy and he says why can't you have friends like denny's and he's like, yeah. my friends are okay. He's like, what, like a thief and two dweebs? Like it's, friendship just keeps, you know, just coming up and coming up. So I think that's yeah. one of the major, major themes in the film. But uh, um, I, I like when they, they, they set out on their journey and they forget to buy food. And, yeah. they, and they say to Vern, they're like, why didn't you bring any food? He's like, I can't think of everything. I brought the comb. <laughs> and right away, Corey Feldman says, what the hell you need a comb for? You don't even have any hair. <laughs> He's got a crew cut. Like they're just well, ripping yeah. on each other, right? Yeah. And I love that. Uh, I love that Vern only had like three cents or something. And they're like looking at him and he goes, I still haven't found my pennies. And then they do the flashback. He's like, right. he had a jar full of pennies. He buried under the porch and drew a treasure map. And then a week later, his mom cleaned the room and threw out the map. And he's been looking for the, for the penny jars. And it's like, been looking for three months, man. I don't know if I should laugh or cry. And then they cut <laughs> to the scene of him digging and there's all the holes under the house. Yeah. Oh my God. I laugh every time I see that. But thank God, because if he didn't, he wouldn't have been there to overhear. Yeah the brother talking right about the, about the body. So, but that's such a kid thing to do. Like yeah. I can remember doing stuff like that. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this little treasure map. So like totally a total kid thing to do. And it's like, I could totally relate to that. I like to like talking about their friendship when, when they're looking at all those old beat up cars in the junkyard and they're like, Hey Vern, looks like your mother's been out driving again. <laughs> like, and then I think even the narrator says, Finding new and uh, pref preferably disgusting ways of ripping on your friend's mother was like held in high regard. You know, I yeah. don't know. Is that still a thing, you think, with kids these days? I, I don't know. I'd be surprised if it is, but who knows? I don't have kids, so couldn't say. I don't know if it is, but I think overall the themes and the archetypes in this movie seem to be universal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think kids probably still have those, those inside jokes and those common things where... If you're a part of the group, you know it, you get it, you know how to participate. Uh, other people looking out, like outsiders looking in are going to not get it or think it's dumb or or just maybe even totally misinterpret it. Like, again, those guys were making fun of each other's mothers. They weren't really disparaging the mothers. Like, it's not like they were going to go up to the kid's mom and, and say something inappropriate. Whereas if that was to happen today, like... 
I think a lot of people that might overhear stuff like that would just totally take it out of context and take it the wrong way. And how dare you say those things? Like, I'm not really saying his mother did these things. It's just a way to, you know, have a little jab and an insult at my friend. And we're just using the the context of the mothers as as a way to get this this jab in. And uh, but I think that's still, I'm sure that still happens in some ways with all kids, with all friends. I mean, I still rip on my friends that way they still rip on me that's just part of friendship if you can't make fun of your friends who are you gonna make fun of exactly and, and speaking of the difference sort of between the generations you know like the, there's no phones or tablets in this way like they waste their time throwing rocks at old cans you know like it stood out to me like, like they do things that are so different than kids these days but i still think some of the uh, the themes are, are, are somewhat universal i love when they're talking about annette funicello on yes. the Mickey Mouse Club. And yes. so the pop culture references, obviously, are very different. And But I, I feel like the subject matter of the conversations are timeless. You of know? course. Like in this case, like they're talking about Annette Funicello's breasts. And I love the conversation. They're like, I think they're getting bigger. And, and, and then I think it's Will Wheaton says, well, I noticed the A and the E are starting to bend around the sides like because the on the old mickey mouse show they they had their first name on the shirt so it would say annette right so the a and the e were bending around the sides yeah. and i'm sure like millennials and younger people have no idea what the no, hell they're talking I'm sure about they do scene. not I'm even sure some no extras i mean given the context of how the conversation comes together i think you get what he's talking about but mm. to your point if you have that additional knowledge of the show and like you said, the fact they had the names on the shirts, it just takes the joke to another level. It's, you know, you, you, uh, you know, it gives you that extra little wink, wink. You're in on the joke. What about when they were talking about moons and goochers? Like, did, did you under, like, you know, that you ever heard about that when they're, they're flipping for the odd man out? Well, I mean, I only know it from this movie and I, mm -hmm. I've seen the movie so many times. I, I now completely, like, I understand what they're talking about, but those were not terms at the time that I knew of. And it's not something that, that my peer group ever did, but I can totally understand the need for it. My, honestly, my friends, whenever we had something like that, we always just did rock, paper, scissors. So right. I imagine every group comes up with some way to settle disputes. And like, honestly, now I have this app on my phone called select it. And you just put your fingers on the phone and then count down three, two, one. And then one of the fingers lights up with a blue light under it. That's how we solve disputes now. You know, who's right, who's wrong, who gets the shotgun, who gets to sit in the front seat, who has to do the dishes, who gets to go first in this game. We just pull out the app, put our fingers on the phone, boop, done. So, I mean, every generation will have, have a way to do it. Every, every social group will have their way to do it based on, uh, you know, what's available to them. So the new, uh, you know, the kids these days, they use an app to do this instead of doing rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. But, uh, but I liked it here because they, they, they flip coins like back. And again, I didn't do this either as a kid. This is a generation before me. But they yeah. flip the coins. And if everyone gets heads, that's a moon. And if everyone gets tails, it's a goocher. And that's like bad luck. Right? Yeah. And, and of course, it's, you know, you know, sort of a foreshadowing thing, I guess. But so I really liked the scene when, so I mentioned how they run out of food. They don't have food. Right, and they, they yeah. blame it on Vern. So um, they do the moons and Gooch's thing, and and um, and Gordy has to go into the store, and he right. and he's talking to the storekeeper, and the storekeeper says, "The Bible, uh, it's or it's, he says it says in the Bible that um, in the midst of life we are in death." And I thought, oh, the other big theme in this movie, other than friendship, is death. And it, yeah. obviously, it's, I mean, obviously, but... They're going to see a dead body. They're yeah, going to see course. a dead body. But also with Denny dying, 
yes. you know, as well as going to see a dead body. And then, of course, Chris getting stabbed at the end, you know, in that restaurant or whatever. Like, the themes are death and friendship. And those yep. two things are universal, right? It doesn't matter if it's 1959 or if it's, you know, 2022 and you're using an app, you know. Like, those are universal themes and things that will never, ever change, right? And that's, that's one of the things when I, you know, like so many movies, you watch it the first time and if it's a good movie, you enjoy it. That's great. And for me, if it's good, you may want to revisit it at some point in the, in the not too distant future. And with this movie there, when you watch it a second and a third time, there's a lot of details that you just completely were unaware of. But once you've watched it a few times, you pick up on, and this, one of the ones is right at the very beginning, you see Richard Dreyfus who is the, you know, the older version of, of Will Wheaton's character, Gordy LaChance, which you don't necessarily know at the very beginning, but we now, you know, you know, after you've seen it, he's got the newspaper there and it's Mm -hmm. like without the context of, of what he's reading or why it's important, it's there, but they don't address it. It's, Mm -hmm. you can see it on camera, but you don't really, it's not really shown long enough to really know, like, what am I supposed to be looking at? And then he starts talking about, you know, I've never had friends like, you know, I, I remember when I was just, I can't remember the exact, I, I think he starts where he said, like, you never have friends like you had when you were that age. And then he starts talking about his friends and, and reminiscing. And then at the end, when you find out, but he's, you know, he says, this is where they all are now. And he talks about how Chris Chambers, played by River Phoenix, uh, you know, to your point, tried to break up a fight and got stabbed and was killed. And then when you watch a second time and you go back, that's the headline. It says, you know, local yep. lawyer, blah, 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 killed or something. So it's like, oh, but you, don't, you, you most people miss that the first time through. Or even if they, they read it, they don't understand what it means until the end and by then they've forgotten it. So it's one of those details that knowing how the movie ends, when you watch it a second time, you, you get some of those little tidbits out of it that really make it even better. You really realize like, oh my God, that was there all along and I just, I didn't have the understanding of why it was important. Just to go back to that scene in the store for a minute, <clears throat> I thought it was an interesting conversation that they have because the storekeeper recognizes them and mm. he's like, he goes like, you know, you're Denny Lachance's brother or whatever. And he's like, do you play football? He's like, no. Well, what do you do? He goes, I don't know. That's his answer. I don't know. And, and that's a good answer it, for a kid. It's a good age. answer. He's 12 years yeah. old. What 12 year old knows what, you know, he does, right? I mean, who, yeah. how could they answer that question? You know, yeah. but it sets up, I think, the question, especially in regard to the fact that they're going to take a journey mm-hmm. together to see what he becomes. Um, the character of Gordy is this young guy that, you know, aspires to be a writer, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you think, is this story autobiographical for Stephen King? Um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would think that he's probably drawing on some elements of his own life. From what I understand of how Stephen King's uh, creative process works, a lot of his stories stem from things that have happened to him in real life. So I would probably be more surprised to hear that this is has nothing to do with him so I, I, you know, I, I think it's more plausible and I think you're probably more accurate to say like, yes, maybe not this is him, this was his life, but I'm sure that he's drawing, drawing upon a lot of his own personal experience and, um, you know, there, the Will Wheaton character of Gordy Chance is there. He, even as a young kid, he's a storyteller and he, you know, they talk about how he writes stories and, and the whole thing is framed in the sense of the older man narrating it is literally writing it and you're you're hearing his thought process as he writes it so I, I think that's probably a fair comparison I thought it was interesting um, 
the, another theme that's coming to mind is the relationships that they had with their with their parents, especially their dads. Yes, you know. Yes, and I thought it was interesting because Gordy's parents they basically ignore him, and and, and you're thinking it's well they're just mourning the death of the the oldest son, right? But then you go to those flashbacks, and you see they pretty much ignored him when he was alive too. Yeah, you know, and then you've got Teddy, and his loyalty to his dad even though his dad abused him like it was such an interesting theme I thought to explore I mean Teddy defends his dad like crazy remember when he's in the junkyard and the guy's like oh the, the loony up in Togus he calls him yeah. and Teddy goes nuts he's like he stormed the beach in Normandy you know and, and the narrator even says you know I could never understand how Teddy could care so much for his dad who practically killed him when I couldn't give a about my dad who never laid a finger on me yeah but well and he sorry go on i was saying but but gordy's dad didn't lay a finger on him. he didn't abuse him physically but he abused him mentally yeah yeah definitely based on what we understand today yeah. for sure yeah and i think even to a lesser extent um the river phoenix's character chris chambers when they talk about like um going to camp out like going on this trip and they're like well we'll tell your parents this and we'll take my parents that and it's like yeah, and then when we come back and they find out we found this body, it doesn't matter that we'd be gone. We'll, you know, we'll be heroes. And he even says, he goes, oh, well, he goes, my old man's probably going to whip me anyway. But he goes, ah, it's worth it. Right. And it's like he just accepts that, you know, his, his dad's going to gonna hit him from time to time for whatever reason. You don't really get a lot of the specifics, but, um, you know, obviously there's uh, they talk about how his character is like got older brothers that are thieves and they talk about like oh you know when this money went missing of course they went to him because all his his brother or his, i can't remember if he's supposed to have more than one brother but it's like his brother's a thief as well so you know you paint them all with the same brush kind of thing so it's uh you know you got to wonder how the how the the influence of the parents has has helped shape that so like like any great movie it's got great scenes that really stand out when chris and gordy are talking about how they're going to be split up in middle school and, and Gordy's, you know, he's like, well, I'm just going to stay back with you guys. You know, I'm not going to take those advanced college classes. And then Chris just starts getting on him. Yeah. He's like, you don't let your friends drag you down. And, and immediately it cuts to Vern and Teddy and they're arguing about who would win mighty mouse or Superman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just punches the point home. And Teddy's yeah. like, no way. There's no way a cartoon could beat up a real person. And Vern's like, It'd be a good fight, though. Like these guys, just, yeah. you know, these guys are going to drag you down if anything. Yeah. But 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 even to build on that, you learn later that um, Chris ended up going with Gordy into those advanced classes, and yes. it seems like Gordy helped him. So it's not only did his friends not drag him down, he helped bring his friend up. So it's like he took he took the message to heart and like just just built on it. It was it was You're a good right. uh, yeah. Because you know. later on when they were they were staying up talking. And then um, you're right. Gordy was like saying, no, you got to come and take these classes. So you're right. Instead of, you know, friends pulling them down, he flipped it on its head and it was like, he's going to, you know, pull them up. That, in that scene too, the, Chris was telling the story about the, the school money getting stolen yeah. and how that, like when he's telling that story, man, damn, that River Phoenix was a pretty good actor. Yeah. He? Even oh as God. a young kid, you knew that oh, this man. kid had talent. And, and again, it's like, you know, you, you, in, in real life, you have two families. You have the family you're born into, for better or for worse, and you have the family that you choose, which which are the friends you make along the way. And I think this movie just totally accentuates that. It's like, clearly, 
Gordy had a very great relationship with his brother who at the start of the movie we've learned has died. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if they ever explain how he died. Uh, no, but I don't, I don't, I don't uh, think that's relevant. I yeah. mean, I always assumed it was probably a car uh, drug, accident. Probably, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, probably drug driving accident. Mm-hmm. Who are we kidding? Um, but for some sort of car accident, I always assume that. I don't know if that's true. Um, and maybe in the book, maybe in the book they talked about, maybe that's why I think about it. Anyway, um, so Gordy had this relationship with his brother who clearly they probably talked to each other about a lot of things. And with his brother gone and his parents being so distant, he had no one to reach out to. And so he's become very close with with the family he chose with these with these other three guys and that's you know and and obviously chris chambers character same thing it's like he's got this dad who will whoop him and he's got this brother who's a thief so it's like you don't get the get the sense that there's a lot of deep heartfelt emotional discussion happening at home and it's like then here are these two kids who are supposed to be what 12 years old opening up to each other and confiding each other it's like we don't have anyone else that we can talk to this stuff about and uh, so this is their this is their the family they've chosen. And this is how the people you love should should treat you. They should listen to your problems. They should be the shoulder to cry on. They should offer you this advice. They should be supportive. And uh, and again, I think that's, again, one of the, the driving themes of this movie is, you know, you, you can you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. And the friends that you choose are, are very much become the family that, that you you learn to love. And, and, uh, and it wasn't just two kids that are like casual friends. Like no. this is some deep bonding. And, and, and Chris is just this mature kid who just knows where it's at, you know? Yeah. So, so cool. Um, speaking of good scenes, another great scene, probably the most famous scene in the movie um, when they get to the bridge. You know, I love how Vern (laughs) starts. He's crawling across on his hands and knees because he's afraid of heights. Right. And and I can relate to this, by the way. I am deathly afraid of heights. I've been my whole life. So but then when the train comes, like the adrenaline kicks in and you just stand up and take off. But the thing was, when they were shooting this scene, they um, they did it with like a 600 millimeter lens right so the train was way behind them but you know they made it look like this so they were never yeah. in any real danger or whatever yeah and rob reiner just couldn't get a performance out of these kids he just couldn't do it so he started screaming at them and started yelling at them and it's like you're ruining my movie and like you're destroying this I, you kids suck and it made them start crying and he's like act right now run and they did while they were crying. And so when you see them, they're crying. Those are real tears and stuff. Great yeah. directing. You know, great, yeah. great instincts on the part of the director. But that's... Well, and I love when they're running in. And I think it, it, who's on the vid- bridge with Vern? Is it Gordy and Vern? It's Gordy and Vern. Yeah. And Gordy, yeah, Gordy yells out, train! And they start running. And then he's like, oh, I don't want to. He's like, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... And that's such a kid thing. I mean, in that case, they really could have been killed, um, you know, given the circumstances. But. How many times as a little kid or even as a young teenager are you out doing stuff and it's like, I'm going to jump my bike over this. Like, oh, if you do that, you're going to die. Like, <laughs> so many times. I mean, I can't even remember how many times that kind of a discussion would happen among your peer group where you're like, you know, I'm going to do this stupid thing the kids are going to do. And it's like, oh, man, if you do that, you're going to die. Oh, I'm doing it anyway. So it's like, again, it's just those little things when I watch this movie. It's like I can just I can totally relate to it and think, yeah. That's probably what I would have done with my peer group, and you know, if I was in that circumstance, or I did something just as just as crazy, just as dumb, just as dangerous in many cases. Yeah, this uh, that train scene though. Like I said, I, I've seen the movie before, obviously, but I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But still, my heart was racing watching that scene. 
Oh, this you know what this would have been so much better to see on the in the theater. I was just gonna screen. say that God. scene probably plays out yeah. really well in the theater. Yeah, I I, I couldn't uh, go through this podcast and not mention the smoking because we always talk about uh, smoking in these old movies and how prevalent it is. And here you got twelve year olds that are smoking. <laughs> but again, that's relevant and accurate for the time. Oh yeah, that, absolutely. That not only would these kids smoke, but they would see it as like, well, if I smoke, I'm cool, and and. All of the kids smoke, even the, the older kids, the, the bullies, they're all smoking yep. as well. You see them, they got the cigarette packs tucked up under their uh, their T-shirt sleeve. Yep. So it's like, again, but that was of the time. So t- that's accurate. Like a lot of the times we watch these movies, especially with newer movies, when you see the smoking, you're like, mm, did that, you know, there was no real reason for it other than maybe the actor smoked. But yeah, I, I think it would probably seem less authentic if none of them were smoking, because in that time frame, that that's that's the expectation. When they're sitting around the fire smoking, another great scene happens with the lard story. Oh, that's that's my favorite part. I mean, story. oh god, I mean, and the thing is, the story is all about being different and and not fitting in, and and yeah. also how cruel people are if you are different. But the thing is, this story has a twist because it's written by a 12-year-old boy, right? So there's, you know, it's got a healthy dose of revenge <laughs> built into it. The barfing, I, again, just, <laughs> it's so outrageous and crazy. I love it when it's like, boss man Bob Cormier barfed on Principal Wiggins. Principal Wiggins barfed on the lumberjack sitting next to him. Mayor Grimsby barfed on his wife's It's like a 12-year-old kid wrote this whole thing. Yeah. Well, and I like, part of the reason I like it is just how bad the special effects are. Because you've got to think, if a 12-year-old kid is writing it, this is probably how it's like, so the obviously it's written by Stephen King. So you're getting Stephen King's description of it. But when you're watching it, even though I'm hearing Stephen King's words come out of Gordy Lachance's mouth, this is how obviously he would be describing it to his friends like not perfectly and so when the when lardass barfs you can clearly see that the bar's not coming right out of his mouth there's like a spigot behind him you can't say right. spigot but you can tell that the, you can tell. The, the, it's like a hose or something yeah the hose of puke is coming <laughs> and like even lardass you can see like he's basically got like a pillow stuffed up under yeah. his shirt to make him look fatter and it's like because that's how the little kid's story probably sounds to an adult like that that's how silly and over the top some of it is um, and, but I, I, again, I just appreciate it. It just felt so perfect that this is the story, 12 year old kid. And then I love what I love even the more is, I mean, the story itself is great and the way it's, the way it's told. And he's like, what they didn't know was, and they do a little flashback and it's like, Oh, I love it. And then when it's done and all the kids <laughs> cheer yep. and then Teddy's like, Daddy. what happens next? And he's like, what do you mean? What happens next? That's the end. And he's like, no, that sucks. Why doesn't he go home? And get a gun, <laughs> kill somebody. And he's like, he's like, what? he's like, what happened in Lars? He's like, I don't know. Maybe he went home and celebrated with some cheeseburgers. Man, that and, ending sucks. Yeah. And then Vern's like, I have a question. Did he have to pay to get in the contest? <laughs> no, Vern. They let him in for free. It's like again, those are the stupid, silly little questions that a twelve-year-old fixates on. Right. And it's like, so what was Vern thinking the whole story? It's like, I wonder if he had to pay to get in. It's like it's almost <laughs> like you know, Vern didn't really enjoy the story, right? Because that question was burning in his mind the whole time. And it's like, yep, that's totally how little kids would be. Yeah. And Teddy didn't like it because he thought the ending sucks. You you cannot please everyone. No, God knows no, we've learned not. that doing this podcast. That's for sure. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. You go the, the when he's telling them the story, they're all just sitting there, just raptured by his storytelling. Like nowadays, they'd all be on their phones. 
you know, another example. Well, so. I think nowadays it would be a YouTube video and they'd all just be watching it or a TikTok. That would be something through the phone because that's how you reach that audience. And the fact that they didn't have those things to distract them or to to take their attention, like this is the way you did it. You shared the stories. It's like telling jokes, right? You would, you would tell a joke to your friends. Same idea. It's like, I'm just going to tell them the story. And they've already acknowledged that Gordy writes stories in school. And I think Chris even says like, oh, yeah, you know, you're so creative. You write all these stories. So it's like they know that this kid is creative and has these neat ideas. Um, so, it, you know, I, I think it, I think it's just it's a perfect fit. It's it's a great it breaks up the story in a great way. It adds this, this funny element that's completely removed from the bigger story on its face uh, by having this cutaway scene. But exactly to your point, the theme of the story is. Here's someone who's different, who's been picked on, who gets revenge, uh, you know, and that fits in perfectly with with these characters and this bigger story. So even though it seems like it's a complete uh, deviation from the main story, a little little recess almost, it's it's it is, but it's not. Another scene I want to talk about is the deer scene. So Gordy's sitting on the tracks, and the deer comes out of the woods, and he just appreciates the beauty of the moment. You know, and it's probably why he doesn't share it with his friends, I think, because because I think he knows they probably wouldn't appreciate it in the same way. You know, like with all these motifs of like death and, and friendship, um, this scene kind of is like a symbol of life, you know, and peace. Um, I thought it was a great scene in, in a movie that has a lot of great scenes in it. So what did you think of the, of the deer scene, like especially in the context of the film? Honestly, I thought it was kind of forgettable. I never really felt Whoa. it was that important. Oh my god! I, th- I thought until it was until you just mentioned it. I didn't even remember it. It, it for me, it it, it kind of it's from a pacing point of view. Like as a director, it it gives you a breather because the scene right before is when they're having that emotional talk about the about That's, Chris yes. stealing the money and not you know, yeah. and so it gives you a bit of a breather. And um, I don't know. It, for me, it, it almost looks like Will Wheaton represents innocence like he kind of looks like the deer in, in a way and he's he's right about they're all about to lose their innocence you know it very shortly because they're going to go see a, a you know a dead body so i think there's a lot going on in that scene in just a brief moment i thought that scene was fantastic really really liked it I don't um, know, maybe and i, just, I like maybe how I just the narr- got it well, oh, the, well the narrator even says he goes i i never told the guys about the deer and he's like in fact I never mentioned to anybody until right now as I'm writing about it. And that's when you realize that the narrator is not just narrating the story. He's actually writing a book about the story. So I mm-hmm. thought that's, I thought the scene was very, very important. And then the leeches scene. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, was that something? <laughs> and, and I loved how, even though, um, like, again, they're, they're sort of ripping on each other as they're going through. And then, they're oh, great, you know, pick on the fat kid. And they're like, oh, he gets wet. And sleeper all sleeper. They're like, they're all just wrestling and fighting. And then when they realize that like, there's this danger to all of them, they, of course, like little kids would do. And like I would do if that was me right now. They freak out. Ah, oh, leeches. And of course, they immediately like they help each other. They strip down. Take it out. You know, it's already on my back. I'll be back. And then, of course, he's got the one in his pants. Mm-hmm. Eddie, Eddie, it's just the scene. He pulls out the leech and it's got blood on it. Oh, I'm yeah. like, that always grossed me out, even as a little kid. It's like, oh, poor guy. He had a yeah. leech, leech on his parts, man. And it obviously was, was you know, attached. It's like, and then he faints. And then, they, of course, then they make fun of it. He's like, never met anyone who fainted before. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you take this scene that is like, potentially this very like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And they they just light the moment with a joke. But 
which of course is what kids would do. It's like, it's serious for the 10 seconds when it's happening. And then the moment passes and it's just back to business as usual. I thought it was good too when they finally then get to the body and then Gordy has to confront kind of his own feelings about death, especially the death of his brother, obviously. And he also comes to terms with the fact that his dad hates him. Will Wheaton was a pretty darn good kid actor too. You know, we were going on and on about uh, River Phoenix, but Will Wheaton... He was pretty good in this. I thought he was good. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people ripped on him for Star Trek, and I think that people who maybe disliked his character or his performance in Star Trek forget how good he really is in this movie. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's too bad. I think that's unfortunate for, for him, and I think it's unfortunate for his fans that, that uh, or people maybe that aren't his fans, that if they're not a big fan of him, that they maybe would avoid this movie because he's in it. And I think that's that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. I think he does a great job in this. And and if he didn't, the movie wouldn't have this staying power. Like, he mm-hmm. is the main character. He is. Right. He, I mean, Richard Dreyfuss plays this character as an older man as the narrator. And he is the, the actor with the most screen time. Like, he is the star, the number one star of this movie. And... If he didn't do a good job, we wouldn't be talking about this all these years later. Like, he was fantastic. And there's there's a nice redemption part there. It was for me anyway. When the bad guys come and Ace pulls the knife. Because the thing is, the previous scene to that, he was playing chicken with a truck. Yeah. So you know he's crazy enough to use his knife. Yep. And Gordy pulls the gun on him. And, yep. he, and Ace is like, what are you going to do? Shoot us all? Nope. Just you, Ace. And for the first time, you see fear on Ace's face. It just, to me, it was very re- redeeming because, I mean, I had issues with police when I was a kid too, so I was like, oh, yes, that was awesome. Love that scene. And then they return to the town and the town seems smaller. You know, they say, I think it's just because they experience so much, obviously. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, and then they drift apart. They drift apart from Teddy and Vern, at least. And I thought that it was really cool because the narrator says, like, that happens sometimes. You know, yeah. friends come in and out of your life like a like busboys in a restaurant, you know? And then I love how the narrator's last words aren't spoken. They're written on the screen. Yes. Which looked like a Commodore 64 or something like that, by the way. It, it was you know? definitely an older... I mean, it was from the mid-80s, so that, that could have been it. And to me, I think one of the best parts of the movie, it says, although I hadn't seen, them, seen him in more than 10 years, I know I'll miss him forever. And yeah. then you think, oh my God, that's it. That's like the perfect ending to this movie. Yeah. And then his young kids come in and then he adds one more line. And that's when he says, I never had any friends later in life, like the ones that I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? And it's yeah. like, oh my God, <laughs> such an impactful statement that's made without any words being spoken. And I thought, oh man, it's awesome. It was awesome. It was much better than I remembered it. And I remembered it as being a pretty good movie, but I didn't. Maybe I have a different perspective on it now that I'm, you know, like I think I was like probably, you know, 17 when I first saw the movie. And now that I'm older and I've got young kids, I've got, you know, one of my sons is the same age as the characters in the in the, the story. So maybe I'm just looking at things through a different lens, but this is a really good movie, man. Really yeah, good. Yeah, it's, it's a like, solid, oh, it's, it's a solid so eight pick. Oh. It's uh you know, I'm just I have Rob Reiner's uh, filmography here and I'm just looking at uh, this five year run he's got from 86 to 92. He directs oh, Stand By Me, so good. The Princess Bride, yep. When Harry Met Sally, Misery and A Few Good Men. I'm like, wow. Talk wow. about 
talk about a winning streak. And then 94, he does North, which was kind of a misstep. And then mm-hmm. 95, he does The American President, which was definitely, in my mind, like one of his great movies, which then, you know, l- rolls into the West Wing TV show. Um, not that he's involved with that, but the, the a lot of the um, Aaron Sorkin was involved with the American president. So that rolls into that. It's just like, oh, my God, Rob Reiner was like, talk about bringing your A game for uh, for seven years. Like not that he wasn't already bringing his A game up until that point. But wow, like it. next level A plus stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he didn't already have all the money and all the power in Hollywood, like that run of movies he he was never bigger than he was in that six seven year span. Not bad for a, not bad for a guy that started off as meathead. Exactly. All in the family, man. Oh man, he exactly. was something else. Do you want to give it a rating out of ten? Uh, definitely a nine, maybe even a nine and a half on the right day of the week. I'm going to go with a nine out of ten. I will give it a nine and a half. It yeah, was not good. I think I think we pretty so much good. agree on that one. Oh man, it was so good. Okay, let's have some fun with caveman. <laughs> All right, so since it was my movie this week, it's over to you for uh, for trivia. So what have you got for us? Well, Chris, we're going to play a game that I know you love. What, what game is that? Pick the Flick. Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the Flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the Flick. You get the year, pick the Flick. All right, over to you, my friend. What have you got in terms of pick the flick for us? All right, so this movie uh-huh. is called Stand By Me. It is. And there's a famous song used in the movie called yep. Stand By Me. It is. So I looked for other movies that are named after a song. So I'm going to give you the description of some movies. I'll tell you what year the movie came out. And the common theme is that all of these movies are named after a famous song. And I made sure to double check that the song is actually used in the movie. Because when I did an initial search of this, I found a ridiculously long list. And as I started going through, a lot of the times it was just a pure coincidence. This movie is called X. There's a song called X by this band, but the song and the movie had nothing to do with each other. So I made absolutely sure that every movie that's on my list has a song that's called the same thing that appears in the movie and and none of these songs were written for the movie so it's not like the movie's flash dance and the song was flash dance written for the movie flash dance like there's none of that it's the song already existed the movie came out in some cases many years later all right okay and if you need help i know if you need help i can give you one or more of the performers once you pick the, once you get the movie, see if you can tell me the name of the artist that performed the song as a as bonus points. Some some you'll definitely get, some maybe not so much. All right, first one. This is from the this is the year I'm going to give you is the year of the movie. Okay. The movie came out in 1991. All right. A young girl on the threshold of her teen years finds her life turning upside down when she is accompanied by an unlikely friend. Uh, I don't know. What if I told you that one of the stars was Macaulay Culkin? Oh, it's my girl. Yes, it is. Oh, yes. For a bonus point. Yes. For a bonus point, who sings the song My Girl? Ooh, was that like Martha Van Del? I don't know. I don't know. It was. It was The Temptations. The Temptations. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, this is, a, I got a couple of newer ones coming up. This right. one, I, this is going to be a tough one, but the next one I think is good. Okay, so this is a kind of a tough one. After, it's from 2017. Ooh, that would be tough for me. 
After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist that's doomed to fail. Oh, God, I have no idea. That doesn't even sound familiar to me at all. Stars include John Hamm and Kevin Spacey. No, that doesn't help uh, me any. All right. The movie was called Baby Driver. Oh, jeez. Are you familiar with the song Baby Driver? Mean, that's a song? It? Oh, song Baby Driver is by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, okay. We will be watching Baby Driver as a, as one of the movies that I'm going to pick in the not too distant really? future. Man, I haven't even heard of this thing. All right, okay. this is a this is a newer one as well, but I think you're going to get this mm -hmm. one. It's from 2019, so it's only a few years old. Mm -hmm. A struggling musician realizes he's the only person on earth who can remember a famous rock band after waking up in an alternate reality where they never existed. Oh, that's yesterday. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Very good. And. Easiest question I'm going to give you all night. Who sang yesterday? Uh, that was the Beatles. Yes, it was. All right. Okay. 1987. Movie from 1987. A boy raised by wolves is reunited as an adult with his real family. Oh, my goodness. It's not the Jungle Book, is it? No. Nope. No, that would have been in the 70s. 1987. A boy raised by wolves. Nope. I give you the names of a couple of the performers. Oh, sure. Okay, give me Christopher some. Lloyd and Howie Mandel. I have no idea. The movie's called Walk Like a Man. Oh, God. I've never even and, heard of it. Oh, I, I actually saw this one in the theater. It oh was pretty God. bad. Do you have any, uh, any? you know the song Walk Like a Man? Do you know who sang it? Uh, it was like Frankie Valley or something like that. Yes, Frankie oh. Valley. <laughs> bonus point for Chris. Walk like a man. That's yeah. the one. I know it, yeah. All right. Cool. Next one. from uh, Now, this is from the 90s, but I think you got a good shot at this. Okay. 1995. All right. Two hip detectives protect a witness to a murder while investigating a case of stolen heroin from the evidence storage room from their policed precinct. From 95 is... I wasn't running scared. There have been two sequels to this movie. Oh, um, it sounds familiar, but I just, I can't think of it right now. So I don't know. The song is Bad Boys. Oh, bad boys, yeah. Bad Boys. Oh, What's yeah, he going right. to do? I, yep. That was no saying yeah. Bad Boys. No. It was a band called Inner Circle. Oh. All right. I thought that was the theme from Cops. Uh, the same song. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Okay. Movie came out in 1990, right on the edge of your comfort zone. Yeah, just outside of it. Okay. An old flame discovers her ex-boyfriend from the past is a relocated FBI informant out to stop the bad guys. Ooh. I don't know. It stars Goldie Hawn and Mel Gibson. It's not Bird on a Wire, is it? It is Bird on a Wire. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a song. It was just a guess. So. Yep. Well, then I guess you don't know who sang Bird on a Wire. I have no idea. I didn't even know uh, that was a song. Originally, it was Leonard Cohen. Oh, go figure. All right. Here's uh, this one's again. This is a newer one, but I think it's pretty easy. You should get this. It's from uh, 2008. It's the story of a bride to be trying to find her real father told using hit songs by a popular 70s group. Oh, that's, um, I didn't let my wife like this. Is it Mamma Mia? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. And easiest question, Abba. you sang Mamma Mia? Yes, yeah. Abba. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, 
going to 1989 again sort of right on the edge of your comfort oh, yeah, zone that was pretty close yeah the dedicated but tyrannical joe clark is appointed the principal of a decaying inner school inner city school he is determined to improve by any and all means oh it, i feel like it's like oh it's like kind of like stan oh, what was the name of that movie starred morgan freeman yes it did um oh god this is right it's like stand by me i don't know what is it lean on me lean on me i knew it was like stand by me when oh, you're not strong yeah. yeah yeah uh do you know who sang stand by me either the original or the cover version used in this movie stand by me or lean on me uh, pardon me lean on me see you got me doing it now mm, i don't know uh, the original artist was Bill Withers, okay. and they did a cover version of, in for this movie by Club Nouveau, which was okay. a big hit. All right. Nice, easy one. 1987, right in your comfort zone. Okay. An outcast secretly pays the most popular girl in school $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend for one month. Can't buy me love. That's the one. Yes. And who sang it? The Beatles. Yes, they did. Nice. All right. Uh, this one, a little newer, may may not get it. A young one, it's from 2002. A young woman who has reinvented herself as a New York City socialite must return home to the southern U.S. to obtain a divorce from her husband after seven years of separation. Was this Sweet Home Alabama? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> nice. Is it like Reese Witherspoon? Witherspoon? Oh, it was Leonard Skinner. Yes, and yes, Reese Witherspoon yeah. and a second yeah. appearance from Patrick Dempsey. Two nice. questions in a row, Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> All right, here's a nice easy one. 1990, a man in a legal but hurtful business needs an escort for some social events and hires a beautiful prostitute oh. only to fall in love with her. It's Pretty Woman. It is indeed Pretty Woman. Who sang Pretty Woman? Uh, Roy Orbison did. Yes, sir. Yes, nice. sir. Nice. All right. Coming down to the end here. I got two more for you. Oh, this one, I don't know. You might get it right away or you might have no idea. From 1990, an all too uptight FBI agent must protect a larger than life mobster with a heart of gold currently under witness protection in the suburbs. Is it my blue heaven? It is my blue heaven. Yes, it you sounds familiar. I did not even know that was a song. I just recognized the synopsis. So yeah, it was the song was originally performed by Fats Domino. Oh, go cool figure. And last, I made sure to get one from the eighties right in the end here. Nineteen eighty-six. Okay. An American computer whiz who works at a New York bank is suddenly thrust into the world of international espionage after she inadvertently receives a coded message from a British spy. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. Starred Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, is it Jumpin' Jack Flash? It is Jumpin' yes. Jack Flash. Okay. That's the Jumpin' like Jack Flash. Yeah. It was the, the Rolling Stones. It was the Rolling Stones, nice. indeed. There you go. Oh no, you did pretty good on those. Ooh, and believe me, like I said, I had, hard. I had a list of like 30 movies originally. And as I was looking them up, it's like, no, that movie, that song didn't, wasn't in the movie. Song wasn't in the movie. So, so I'm like, nope, they come off the list. So the song had to be in the movie. Oh, some song had to be in the movie. In some cases it was a cover, but uh, yeah, in most cases, these are the originals. I don't know why I was, oh, that's why, because I was thinking like, you like the newer stuff. I thought it's going to be like Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that, you know? But, well, uh, 
but again, some of them were just super obvious. Like, the, how do you describe Bohemian Rhapsody? The movie about the life of Freddie Mercury and Queen. It's like, well, duh. Like, that's the easiest question going. So, yeah. you know what I think my favorite one would be? You didn't mention was Sixteen Candles. Oh yeah, I, I sixteen. I don't candles. think that appears in the movie though. I think I looked that one up. I think that was one of the ones where the song never appeared in the movie. Might not have appeared in there. I don't know if it did. I don't think it did. No. I don't think it did either. I think that's why I pulled it off the list. But or Footloose would have been good too. Oh god, now you got me thinking about a whole bunch of ones would have been good. Yeah, but Footloose was written for the movie Footloose. Right. So that's so you're, you're saying it had to be based on a, a song. Yeah, I wanted it, I wanted a movie where they said, like, this is the movie and we're gonna call it blah and there was a song from five, ten, fifteen years ago with that same title and then use it in the mm-hmm. movie in some creative way. Cool. Oh, all right. Good. Okay, so um, uh, you know, I, I did okay. Um, but now that we've wrapped up 1986, it's now time to to go with a newer movie, a quote unquote newer yes. movie. Yeah. So that goes over to you because you know I'm stuck in everything from 1989 and prior. So uh, what newer movie would you like me to watch and come back and talk about next week, Derek? It's so all right. Go. Well. We just did a movie from 1986. We're going to mm-hmm. uh, move ahead a little bit to 2006. Okay. A little outside of your comfort zone, but not yep. super duper new. For sure. uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not. I think I'm hoping you haven't because I think uh, you really get a, a good payout on your first time through. Uh, we're going to go watch the movie Inside Man, directed by Spike Lee from 2006. It stars Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Judy Foster. Uh, pardon me, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, Willem Dafoe, Chiwetel Ejiofor. It's got a huge cast. It's fantastic. It runs a little over two hours. It's available on Netflix here in Canada. Uh, I just watched this movie around Christmas time, so probably about six months ago, and I hadn't seen it in a long time, but man, oh man, it's great. I think I've seen it four or five times now. I am really looking forward to watching it again this week. I really hope you enjoy it. I mean, we've done a couple of other movies by Spike Lee on the pod, and I know you've enjoyed those, so if you have you seen this movie before? I have not, and... I don't think I'm familiar with this movie at all, other than, I, have you mentioned this on the pod before? I feel like you have. I probably did the movie. last time I watched it. It's yeah. uh, it's about a bank robbery, so. Yeah, I know uh, nothing about this movie. No, so. it's 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 really good. It's, I'm going uh, into it totally fresh, so. That's that's fantastic, and that's I mean, you, want. you and I both know, as many of our listeners know, like Spike Lee, Spike Lee knows how to make a movie, and uh, Spike Lee, the Denzel Washington team up, like you get their A game from both of them. And how Spike Lee did not win an Oscar for this movie is a travesty. Like this movie is fantastic. So at least in my opinion, we'll talk more about it next week, but take it away, give it a watch. It's available on Netflix, Inside Man. We'll come back next week and we'll uh, we'll break it down and talk all about it. All right, that's what we'll do. So we'll come back next time. We'll take a look at Inside Man. And until then, this is Chris McBride. On behalf of myself and our producer Sloth and Derek Myers, caveman himself, I want to say thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 